You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 474, burn your cardigans, throw away your flip-flops, women newspaper columnists through the ages, and the most admired people in the world. That's all coming up after the Doobie Brothers and Take Me In Your Arms. in an amiable dispute with Bill Murray after his <laughs> golf clothing company used one of their songs without permission. Um, kind of sentence I 
would never have predicted, no. I would say, in my lifetime. No, but then 2020 kind of does that, doesn't it? it? Does, doesn't it? Meanwhile, this glorious cover of a Holland, Dozier Holland song from mm-hmm. 1975 in the album Stampede as a single, number 11 in the States, number 29 in the UK, the Doobie Brothers and Take Me in Your Arms. Oh, it's a lovely song, I believe. It's originally by, was it by Kim Weston originally? I think so, yes. Yeah, yes. It, it, it's, it's got a lovely kind of rush to it, that song. And I, I, I like the Doobie Brothers version. I, I'm Obviously, I consider Michael McDonald to be a patron saint of my Sunday radio shows, of, more, of whom we will speak more later. But yes, I'm a huge fan of that. I think it's great. And, and like you say, you can't go very wrong with the source material of Holland, Dozy Holland, can you really? Absolutely. A bright and breezy hello and welcome to episode 474 of the Parish Council. I'm Terence Stackham and she came in through the bathroom window. It's Juliet Harris. Yes, it was a bit of a squash, I'm afraid. Lockdown has not been particularly kind to my uh, otherwise previously entirely athletic physique. But anyway, never mind. I, uh, I made it in the end. Hello, everyone. I mentioned last week that I'm a habitual wearer of your waistcoat. Mm, uh, waistcoat. Ah. Mm, and I've quite a few to choose from. However, there's one very stylish example I can never wear again. Mm-hmm. Um, about a year ago, we were about to go out and I was just going to put my waistcoat back on. It's beautifully knitted waistcoat. When the okay. woman in my life said, don't forget your cardigan. Oh, well, I had to I had to sit down again as I was reeling <laughs> from the shock. A cardigan. Um, it's a knitted waistcoat of the most chic and fashionable kind. <laughs> hearing just hearing it described as a cardigan, well, I I can never wear it again. Now, Jules, you're known as a devotee of the cardigan. I am. Know? Yes, it's part of my personal brand. Yeah. I seem to recall you when you were appearing live with Ryland Clark Neal. You sported a bright. May we say tangerine cardi? Yes, we can. It's certainly an orange style shade indeed. But, but um, you've learned this week that you must throw them all away. At least, I believe, according to leading London lawyer Aisha Vardag. Indeed. I mean, she's so leading that I didn't know who she was, but who knows? Maybe the fault is mine rather than hers. Um, I'm willing to go with that. I mean, weirdly, this story really does sum up why I do not spend any time on Mail Online. So this was on the Daily Mail Online. I'll give you the uh, the, the uh, headline, which I think in itself contains a contradiction, Terence. Now, see if you agree with me. Leading divorce lawyer Aisha Vardag told female staff to ditch cardigans and in wear elegant shoes in incredible a thousand word dress code email declaring we need to be looking fabulous at all times. <laughs> now, for me, mm. I don't feel that looking fabulous and wearing a cardigan are mutually exclusive. In fact, I feel they're mutually dependent. I never look as fabulous as when I wear my bright orange cardigan, is my view. Um, she sent this very strange email. The law firm is called Vardags. I wonder where she got the inspiration <laughs> from. And uh, she says, women need to wear elegant shoes but they don't need to be heels well that's really kind of you love thanks um also um just in case we thought it was too pointed in one direction men were told so look lively terence that tight trousers and pointy tones were sternly frowned upon well i wouldn't Um, i wouldn't be troubled by that rule no i know i I guess you'd be on a slightly different there she's dubbed i do quite like this actually she's dubbed the diva of divorce although they've not actually given a, a source for who this is i suspect it might be the male online she's referred to 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 cardigans as woolies which i find 
very outdated. The last person I heard have referred to a cardigan as a woolly was my nan, who was in her eighties <laughs> at the time. So uh, she says hair should be executive. I love the idea of executive hair. I have executive hair. If if the executive comes from Legoland, because I have the sort of hair where, you know, it's Lego hair. You don't do anything to it. It always stays in one place. Um, She said staff should look professional and sim- not simply like a pretty young thing. So, Terence, you and I are possibly out from working in Vada. Uh, so, yeah. We are allowed to be discreetly sexy. So that's also very generous. Of well, her. that comes naturally um, to both of us. I was so. going to say, yes, absolutely. She said... um. So you'd think that a thousand words was enough on this, but in an earlier 955 <laughs> word directive, how many, t- how different, way- how many different ways can you find to say, guys, can you not wear flip flops into the office, please? Thanks. Which is the only thing that I think really needs to be said. She emailed staff to advise that women could still appear formal, but also discreetly sexy and colourful and flamboyant at the same time. I mean, that is a lot for one particular look, anyway, really, by adopting a Chanel. Dior or Armani look, but what if they do cardigans? She hasn't told me. If I wear a Chanel cardigan, is that okay? I assume it is personally because I think the Chanel probably do very chic cardigans. Obviously, uh, Chanel's not a brand that kind of troubles my income. I have to be honest. But anyway, nothing should be homespun or homely or what you'd cozy up by the fire in. Now, I think what you'd cozy up by the fire in is remarkably informal grammar for a directive of this nature. But anyway, um, and the two emails leaked to legal gossip websites this week i do go on legal gossip websites there's one called roll on friday which is particularly great if anybody's interested in 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 that sort of thing that does have mostly trainees bitching but occasionally you get amazing bits of dirt like this have attracted online derision in the industry nothing worse whilst another top divorce lawyer last night said miss radag was out of touch but but good news for you terence yes Men should be classic and formal but still chic with cravats and formal waistcoats both acceptable there but woolly jumpers or vests and tweed or stop top stitch trousers of any description are out super tight trousers pointed toes in a go uh, no no not a go-go a no-no shoes need to be black and in a classic fashion tan or brown shoes as well as trainers should be avoided so none of your brogue around these parts well um, no brown in town is the was, um, in terms of <laughs> shoes it's the old expression it is you see you you are i knew you'd have your finger on that i say the pulse on uh, very much the opposite mm-hmm. to the pulse but anyway um it says here flip-flops are banned well i do agree with that as well as cardigans while scarves should be silk and classic tailored jackets or formal dresses are business dress and trouser suits are just fine well i should think so frankly if it comes from the if it comes from the business section of marks and spencers it's business all right love it also says dress code also suggests that fewer garments are bought of higher qualities okay fine i'll do that as long as no one is then going to complain about the fact that i've worn the same shirt um, on more than one occasion that i wear the same dress most weeks etc um uh, i very much enjoyed this um this kind of tip for tat i'm basically just here for the drama here for people uh, well i'm not here for people slagging off my cardigans quite the opposite in fact but i'm here for diane benusi who is the managing director of benusi and co in birmingham they're more no nonsense in birmingham i think and this proves uh, told the daily mail oh go diane i hire my staff for their brains generally i want decent lawyers not clothes horses if you want models you go to vogue don't you lots of clapping and love for diane there that is 
superb. Interestingly, I <laughs> love the fact that the Daily Mail now feels it needs to give context to the cardigan story. So it says, Cardigans have undergone a resurgence in recent years with Taylor Swift writing a song called Cardigan and designing her own for fans to buy. But Miss Vardag, 52, possibly the only time ever that a divorce lawyer called Miss Vardag and Taylor Swift have been put in the same sentence, <laughs> made clear that she was not a fan by emailing a dress code reminder to all 120 staff on Monday. There's a very nice picture of a cardigan at this point in the thing, which I would wear. Mm-hmm. And the header was cardigans. It read, I am seeing cardigans in the office. Look at the dress code in the handbook. Woolies of Boten. Wow, I like it when people get their Latin words out. Um, uh, the director, <laughs> I think this is very entertaining, Stephen Bentz, the firm's director of strategy and Miss Vardag's husband. Mm, I wonder how he got that job. <laughs> said, we hold ourselves to the highest possible professional standards. Does that include employing your spouses? Uh, extending to our dress code to which every employee consents upon joining the business. Cardigans, whilst excellent for many occasions, they're excellent for every occasion, Stephen, you've got this wrong, are not compatible without chosen style um and she she also says she once sent a trainee in a cardigan out of a client meeting until she could borrow or find a jacket to wear for god's sake i nearly said something ruder then i'm sorry but um you know does it have to happen then you know do you have to embarrass is it about the fact she's wearing a cardigan or is it about the fact that you can throw your weight around in front of clients and make yourself look big and important by turfing a trainee out of a meeting because of what she looks like i suspect the latter basically i get that firms have to have dress codes so i've just been whinging for ages about this but basically i get the firms have to have dress codes i get that if you're working in certain industries working as a lawyer myself i get that you know if you're seeing clients they buy into you they buy into you know they want to buy into security usually if you're acting for people that need a lawyer they you know that they want reassurance and that does usually come in the form of a suit when it when you're paying someone a lot of money to do something involved for you i think it's it's sensible and shows respect to wear a suit um having said that if you're not seeing clients to what extent does it matter what you look like and also lockdown has meant that everything as jane garvey put it everything is elasticated now anyway isn't it pretty much we haven't really gone back to yet i think everyone went back some of my friends went back to the office for about three weeks before being sent home again because the 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 advice has now since changed so you know given that we've all lots of people have been working in loungewear at home i try and avoid loungewear but you know that's been there's been a lot of pajama time amongst people and they've still worked and done their jobs I wonder if this is rather an antiquated attitude, A, in general, and B, particularly now, the moment that we find ourselves in, where people are increasingly working from home. And because we've all been sort of slightly freed, I think, in some cases from an office environment, maybe work's going to become less formal. And maybe telling people that they need to buy suits from Chanel is not massively connected to where we're going. Now, Julia, a little surprise feature here for you before we move on. Um, I've, I, sorry, I, 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 I ran it a lot there. Do you have any thoughts on whether or not I should wear cardigans in the <laughs> office? I do. I think um, I think there's a world of difference between fellows and um, women on this. Yeah. I think for men, cardigans are very ageing. I, I think it's yeah, they're linked to pensioners um going off to go and get their pension um <laughs> and 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 you know um 
off down to the the the, the saloon bar of of the three bells but mm. for women i think they they can be uh, far more uh, fashionable that's I that's think my it, i think it depends on the fitting as well terence i think if you wore a fitted cardigan you would actually look quite snazzy in it but i think the problem is is that as you say gentlemen tend to wear those huge, huge cardigans i mean almost dare i say it the pauline fowler style cardigan yes. to me standards that are enormous whereas you know if you wear a sort of a tailored cardigan i think that can be a good look i mean like you say it i suppose really women tend to wear the more t- tailored type cardigan don't they whereas whereas yes perhaps you know you know it depends what kind of cardigan you're wearing i think she's rather treated cardigans as much of a muchness if you've got one that's black with gold buttons like i have that's very smart if you're wearing one of those gray ones with a go vaster stripe along the back oh, perhaps God. not so much got a little quiz for you that may or may not be related uh, to what we've just been talking about. Okay, go on. Uh, there's three questions. Mm-hmm. Question one. Mm. Which Swedish band had a top ten hit <laughs> in the UK in 1999 with their single Erase Rewind? I believe that was, uh, I, you know, I wish I'd, I wish I'd yeah. said just now, is this going to be about Swedish indie rock band The Cardigans? Because I sense that that might be coming. It is the cardigans. Well done. Okay. And the return of the 90s quiz as well, which I'm very into. Uh, second question. Mm. Um, what is the name of the bay, a large inlet, <laughs> between Barnsley Island in Gwynedd and Strumble Head in Pembrokeshire? I believe that is the Bay of Cardigan. Cardigan Bay, largest bay in Wales. Well done, Jules. That's two out of three. Let's see if you can get the third one. If I sent you the same birthday card for three successive years and then the next year I sent the same one once more, as you opened it, you might say, oh, no, not that card again. Yes, well done, <laughs> You're wasted on this podcast, Terence. You should be writing for TV again. <laughs> three out of three. Thank you very much. Um, coming next, a brief history of women newspaper colonists. That's right after Yellow. I just got to follow. As if there's no tomorrow, you let your body talk. I wanna share the way you walk. You're not trying to be smart, you're just dancing to my heart. That's what love is all about. Shaking my mind inside out. To the left, to the right, your eyes are shining bright. To the left, to the right, and then you're out of sight.
before we get on to what that was, in a throwback to the previous feature, I believe I've had some correspondence from the Earl of Cardigan, who is very insulted to have been left out of that quiz. So I hope you're satisfied with yourself, Terence. But in the meantime, very, very keen on this tune. Uh, a friend of mine used it on, the, I'm so zeitgeisty, he used it on his Insta story the other day to illustrate something. And of course, it was something to do with his cat, I think. But anyway, I, I instantly honed in on the track, thought I'd look it up because I'm very fond of Yellow, not least because Oh Yeah by Yellow is Duffman's theme in The Simpsons. That's the song that he walks into by going, oh yeah. So I've always been hugely pro-Yellow. As a five-year-old, I obsessively listened to The Race, which I'd taped off for the radio and absolutely drove everybody mad for a, a month period, I think. But um, yeah, this is from uh, Yellow's new album, Point. 2020 sort of unexpected things, isn't it? I didn't think I'd be talking about a new Yellow album, but anyway, here we are, and it's really good, and that was called Out of Sight. Wonderfully bonkers video to go yeah. along with this as well. I don't know if you've seen it. I um, interesting um, duo, aren't they? One of them, uh, Boris Blank, a former <laughs> truck driver. Yes, indeed. The other one, Dieter Meyer, a multimillionaire. Mm. Interesting combination. It's a, very, it's a very unexpected combo, isn't it? Yes. But yes, I, I do like... I mean, they managed to be wacky without wearing, and that is a difficult thing to pull off, I think. Now, I vaguely remember in the late 1980s going to a lunch at Quo Vardis in mm-hmm. Soho. God, you, you were zeitgeisty then, weren't oh, you? That's amazing. Oh, oh, oh. I knew how to live. Um, it was for the <laughs> launch of a book, her autobiography, of an English journalist mm. called The First Lady of Fleet Street, possibly by herself, um, as she... <laughs> She was no shrinking violet. Now, at this lunch, there were about a dozen of us um, celebrating the launch of this book. Mm-hmm. She had Richard Ingrams on one side and me oh. on the other. Wow. Okay. And she was That's late. She sat there, down yeah. in this swirl of enormous hair and overpowering perfume. <laughs> and she turned first to Ingrams and said, I'm Jean Rook. Who are you? And satisfied or otherwise with his answer, she <laughs> swiveled round to me and said, I'm Jean Rook, who are you? And um, I, re- I remember very little about the lunch apart from her <laughs> overwhelming perfume, her rings on her fingers, which were like knuckle dusters, mm. and her rather tedious homophobia. And um, ah, this was. That. That's very. Yeah, this was an era where popular newspapers employed um, to, to write outlandish columns about mm. politicians celebrities in, in the news that week um women um such as this the daily express had gene rook the daily mail had linda lee potter who who wrote in a similar style most tabloids uh, featured their own first lady of fleet street yeah. as it were how does this compare with today jules fleet street doesn't exist in the newspaper sense anymore does this style of common uh, column survive well, maybe it does in very limited ways. I mean, it is it is sort of, a, like you say, it was embodied in private eye with their their much celebrated columnist, Glenda Slag, with two Gs, who was always enjoyable. The thing that made Glenda Slag so great and such a good parody was, uh, firstly, her kind of catchphrase is, aren't you just sick of it? All one word. Four question. Whenever, whenever I am, <laughs> I wrote an email once to one of my friends who wasn't a very good friend of mine at the time, but went on to be a very dear friend of mine. It was on those moments where I knew we had to be really good friends because he had my sense of humour. When I um, I replied with, um, with uh, I replied to one of his emails and put three question marks by accident. And then I replied, said, sorry, two question, too many question marks there, to which he replied, 
replied, aren't you just sick of it? Four question marks. And I realized, I realized that he, you know, he was in the same place as me. So I, it's strange. And I did, wasn't really very familiar with Lynn, with, uh, with Jane Rook. I did know Linda Lee Potter, but Jane Rook wasn't, wasn't my sort of era really. I I don't know what, how I'd come across Linda Lee Potter. She might've been in the, sort of the fag end of her years when I was at, at school and sitting complaining about the Daily Mail. But anyway, I think these sort of columnists, uh, the, 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 sorry, the Glenda Slag thing was so good because they were real contrarians, but contrarians with themselves more than they were with anyone else. So the Glenda Slag model is to be really horrible about someone in the first paragraph and then criticise people for being horrible about them in the second paragraph and then possibly have another go at the end. And I th- I think that the, 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 the columnists where they started, the first ladies of Fleet Street, I think, started out and actually their their home is still very much on the mail and the express, I think. So, so Jan Moyer, um, what's her name with the horses and the strange husband? Liz oh, Jones. Liz people Jones, like, people yeah. like that. They still seem to be there, although... You know, they seem to be diminished figures, if people don't mind my saying. There are still some some female columnists, but it seems the female the, the female columnist, the the the, uh, the the Glenda Slag model now lives on TV. I think Glenda Slag would now be on Loose Women if she was around. Oh, that's a good I point. Think, mm. I think that's where that kind of contrarian sort of you know well of course it's where denise welch who's currently a, a prominent anti-masker complainer about lockdown she she is has been or and possibly still is a columnist on a panelist on there and i wonder if that is the sort of you know Mm. ball breaking kind of you know female sort of contrarian often quite contradictory kind of columnist the the the, the female columnists that that sort of are in the are in the the posh papers the broadsheets are a bit calmer i think mm. i found i found nigella lawson's valedictory advice column very good the other week i think i, I you know i enjoy the the writings of of, 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 of uh, indian night my personal favorite female columnist at the moment is not actually my favourite columnist because she's a female columnist. She's my favourite columnist because I think she is the best writer out there at the moment, and that is Marina Hyde, who is the reason to support The Guardian at the moment, I think. But it's interesting. I don't I don't know if the, if, if the Glenders of the world were always mocked by the private eye because they were women or if they were mocked because they were ridiculous. It is interesting that you say that Richard Ingrams was at that lunch. I wonder mm. if, if, you know, if that, that sort of, that sprung from there, if you, if you see what I mean. But um, no, there's, there's something about that kind of, I, I, particularly in the Mail and the Express, I don't know to what extent women are trying to send themselves up with it. Do they think if they sort of, you know, if they play up to that model that they're kind of performing to a stereotype that will always get them employed? I don't know. I find I find it really sort of strange, if you see what I mean. I think there are still versions of this columnist. But I, I like like I say, I think that you find them on panel shows. They occasionally pop up on Question Time. I, I I think that is well. Look at Casey Hopkins, for example, the, who who became a columnist off the back of The Apprentice. You know, it's it's. I think they all. I think that TV is the kind of place that produces these people now, and they perhaps end up in newspapers as a spin-off. 
I think the remarkable aspect of Marina Hyde's output mm. is that she oh, yeah. consistently writes three columns a week, but across yeah. three different spheres of life, one Absolutely. on sport, one on popular culture and another on political shenanigans but um I just and, her, wanted... and her knowledge is absolutely encyclopedic as well she, oh, yeah. she is so good because she just the references that she makes one minute she can be making a joke about greek philosophy the next she'll make a joke about kardashians and then she'll make a joke about alan shearer and she's just she's just so good and she's so spot on all the time i think so so yes i'm a i'm a big fan of her sort of just being a columnist referring back to private eyes um Glenda Slag, aren't you just sick of it? That was that was actually based or t- um, mm. taken from actually a male uh, version of oh, Jean Rook and Lindley Potter. In the 1970s, the editor of the Sunday Express was this really eccentric Scotsman called John Juner. Mm. And he was he was the father of the writer Penny Juner, who's done a lot of uh, royal biographies and things. And um, he awarded himself a column, which was just like Gene Rooks and, and Linda Lee Potter's in the Sunday Express, right in the middle, um, in the sort of editorial area. And he used to rail about uh, modern life every week. Uh, and mm-hmm. it, instead of saying, aren't you just sick of it? He used to have a phrase. He used to say, pass the sick bucket, Alice, mm-hmm. at the end of his um, rant about uh, something about you know um, uh, women liberation for women or uh, immigration or something like that he would uh, rail about that and say pass the sick bucket Alice but, ha- but-, but how interesting that when the people of the private eye chose to send that up they chose to do it as a woman well, instead of a man Yes, as their generic right, uh, gossip columnist. Yes, I suspect there's less of a future for the Rook Lee Potter style of column, mm. just as there seems to be an uncertain future for newspapers themselves. Um, I think you 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 nailed it with the television aspect, and also uh, online purve- purve- purveyors now gain all the traction. People get yeah. their gossip and punchy stories about celebrities from the mail online, and maybe social media yeah. less so from the actual uh, paper versions of the pages yeah, of the Daily Express and Daily Mail. And actually, an interesting point, just to kind of tie this all together, which has just occurred to me. Um, I think we've talked previously on the podcast about the programme Years and Years, which is so on the nose for this year that it is all. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to watch Years and Years again, even though I think it's amazing because it proved to be so accurate. And and for people that haven't seen it, particularly people in America, it might be worth watching. I think it might have been on PBS, but if you can stand it, it's worth watching. It's a six-part series written by Russell T Davis over here in the UK that starts in 2019 and travels forward and follows a family through 20 through um, 15 years I think in time so ends in 2034 and the whole thing begins with a sort of a rent a gob businesswoman played by Emma Thompson on a question time style program swearing about the fact that she doesn't give up about Israel and Palestine she goes on to become this this loudmouth goes on to become a political figure of the far right who takes control who takes power in Britain I don't think it's boring anything to say that interestingly her surname is Rook yeah, yeah I am sure that they must. That I, was wonder, no I wonder. Yeah. And, and the thing is, now you say that, I wouldn't have spotted that reference because without sounding too snot nosed, I'm possibly a bit young. It's beyond so. my time. But I suspect Russell T. Davis might not be. And again, much like Marina Hyde, when you watch that series, very little escapes Russell Davis's notice, I think. 
coming next, who are the most admired men and women in the world? We, we have the results of this week's YouGov poll. Aside from us, of course, that goes without saying, I guess. Right after a terrific single from earlier this year from Shambolics. from Fife in Scotland and signed to Alan McGee's Creation 23 Mm. label totally captivating single I think from this year Shambolics and Sandra Speed 
indeed. And for all that Alan McGee is a little bit shambolic himself occasionally, yes. he uh, he goes away, he has a label, he goes, it goes bust, he goes away, he comes back with another label, it all goes wrong and he goes away. But he's still gone near for a hit, hasn't he? Or by a hit, I mean, he's still gone no, near for, for sure. a great tune. Absolutely. Until this week, I didn't know that the market research and analytics people YouGov conducted mm. an annual survey across the globe, mm. 42 countries, in fact, to establish who are the most admired men and women in the world. And mm. there's some very odd entries in the in the, the, in the top yeah. 20s of these, particularly in the male division, which Juliet will tell us about in a minute. But <laughs> yes, mostly, George, you're right. This poll is notable for its absentees. Neither you nor, most surprisingly, I. Uh, <laughs> yes, indeed. That's the real shock. Yeah. Featured in the most admired people in the world. Indeed, and that, I think your problem though is is not being um, not being a, a, a dictator of a country because <laughs> if it had been, then if you'd been Erdogan from uh, from Turkey, then you'd have got to number nineteen. I'm not sure what there is to admire, but anyway, there's some very strange uh, things when people talk about when they talk about most admired. Um, I'm not sure what their metric is because it's really weird. It's got it's 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 got Modi from India at number four. We'll put it this way: you, you some gear shift to go from Barack Obama to Bill Gates. Yeah, I get that. Um, Xi Jinping from China. Mm, okay, but I sort of go with that. Modi from India. What? Jackie Chan. I'm sorry. What? What? How is Jackie Chan, who to be fair has made some amiable kung fu movies? How is he the fifth most admired person in the world? Really I don't understand. And then it's Cristiano Ronaldo at number six. Um, how did the Dalai Lama only get to eight? I don't really understand. Um, Elon Musk at nine. Well, you know, I'm not a huge fan, but I get he's a world figure. Keanu Reeves at ten. Again, an amiable chap. How, and what? And, and, and then forty-five thousand. It's not even. It was a small poll. Forty-five thousand people. They asked. I mean, I feel sorry for Pope Francis, who came eight, who a came eighteenth, and b came three places below Trump. So, <laughs> so it's, it's that is really even as a non-religious person, I find that deeply yes. offensive. It's very strange, although not quite as strange. Speaking of odd lists, you might remember in two thousand and two, BBC. Brought, did a poll which they then broadcast as a TV series called 100 Greatest Britons. Right. I was at university at the time, my first year, and it was because we were all nerds. It was, you know, much of it, much of it was a topic of chat. And when you sort of read down, the winner was Winston Churchill. So Winston Churchill, okay, yeah. not Churchill. So Isambard Kingdom Brunel came second. Diana, Princess of Wales, came third, which is a bit strange. But this was only five years after she died. Oh, we were right. still in that odd moment, weren't yeah. we? So, so Charles Darwin at four, Shakespeare at five. Sir Isaac Newton at six, Elizabeth I at seventh, Yeriko, none of these particularly controversial, John Lennon at eight, Horatio Nelson at nine, Oliver Cromwell at ten, and then we've got, you know, uh, Shackleton, Captain Cook, uh, Baden Powell, Alfred the Great, Arthur Wellesley, Duke of Wellington, Margaret Thatcher at 16. So when we go to 1920, Queen Victoria, Sir Paul McCartney, Sir Alexander Fleming, yes, it's all big, impactful mm. figures. Number 17 in the greatest Britons ever, 2002, was Michael Crawford. Oh, my goodness me. I mean, bless how, him. But how, my goodness I mean, he's a nice man, a great actor. But how is Michael Crawford between Margaret Thatcher and Queen Victoria on the greatest ever Britons list? So I get that your list is strange that you've presented me with. But 
I, 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 to be honest, I didn't find it that strange because I've lived through a time where Michael Crawford was described as the 17th greatest Britain ever. I mean, when you look at the people <laughs> that, that, you know, that, that he beat um, in the 20s, so he, in the 20s, he, he managed to beat Alan Turing, Michael Faraday, Owen Glinda, Elizabeth II, the, the actual queen, Stephen Hawking, Emmeline Pankhurst, William Wilberforce, David Bowie and Guy Fawkes. <laughs> that is that is the head scrambling like you say very nice man excellent actor brought a lot of people joy through frank spencer i completely understand that just really strange looking at the female most admired list by the way that seems to be a little bit more sensible in in the fact that it's uh i guess less women are dictators which is what makes it <laughs> less nuts but um although some might argue otherwise in the interest of balance etc etc but michelle obama winning that list angelina jolie coming second queen elizabeth the second in third um, I wonder if this is slightly American art. American sl- uh, slanted this research because Oprah Winfrey comes fourth, Jennifer Lopez comes fifth. Um, going down this, uh, Beyonce. Well, I'd put it this way: Beyonce beat both Angela Merkel and Hillary Clinton, and also Malala and Greta <laughs> Thunberg and Ellen DeGeneres. Although Ellen DeGeneres might be disappointed to become to come below Melania Trump. So uh, I think strange. Ellen De- DeGeneres' star has waned somewhat this well, year. Well, unfortunately, tales from the tales from the crypt of her show not not ideal, it would seem. But it's strange, isn't it? Maybe these 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 polls. Maybe they're true. As you said, it was a big sample, forty-five thousand. That's a huge sample. So maybe, maybe they're reflect. Maybe they're truly. Maybe the fact that they're so wildly variable shows that perhaps they are genuinely, truly representative of of a spectrum of opinion. If they were all similar sort of people in a similar kind of place, maybe uh, you'd be saying, oh, you know, the sample size is not large enough. People have different interests. What interests one person doesn't interest another. One person's political views are very different to someone else's. Maybe these lists are genuinely representative in that they encompass they encompass actresses, they encompass politicians, they encompass sports people, they encompass terribly violent murdering dictators. You know, they, they sort of encompass, and by that I mean they encompass differences of opinion, both you know, sort of social opinion, liberal sort of liberal versus other opinion, economic opinion, that sort of thing. I think they're really interesting because I, I think they, like you say, the sample size is so big that maybe we should. Maybe the fact that they're so varied and so wild shows that they should be trusted because perhaps they are representative of how tr- deeply, strangely varied human opinion is. To see, as you say, Donald Trump at number 15, three places ahead of the Pope, I don't know whether that <laughs> speaks more about middle America or the concerns over the state of the Catholic Church. Well, e- equally to find Melania Trump in the hmm. most admired women of 2020. I mean, bless her. But I why? Mean, you know, I was going to say, endurance? I'd use pitied rather than admired, really. I must admit, that's, that's whichever Melania it is this week as well, because there well, are rumours to be more than one. Oh my god. Maybe Occasionally for... people that look like her get off of a plane with him, but they I'm not convinced it is her. And that seems to be general experience. And as a regular listeners know, I'm not a wild conspiracy theorist, but there are some odd things happening sometimes. Maybe it's for her her ability to dress the White House as a terrifying palace of horror each Christmas. It could be Indeed. Uh, and and also her her much celebrated jacket off the back of immigrant children. I don't re- I don't care. What's it to say? I don't. I really don't care. Do you? Yes. The, the, I, I, 
the poor Dalai, Dalai Lama, he's less admired <laughs> than Cristiano Ronaldo. I but I was thinking, I suppose even between them, the Pope and the Dalai Lama haven't won five Champions Leagues or, or uh, five <laughs> Ballon d'Ors. Come back to him when you run the, when you won the Ballon yeah. d'Or, Francis. Yeah, exactly. No room in this poll for Todd Rundgren, Didier Drogba or Joni Mitchell, or from your point of view, no PJ Harvey or Radiohead people. So it's entirely worthless. Well, absolutely. Although having said that, you know, uh, even if I was the world's biggest Michael Crawford enthusiast, <laughs> even I would have to concede that having him at 17 of the greatest Britons ever is is strange. That is, I think, possibly my favourite ever odd moment of um of you know the general public are not to be trusted i think mm. it sounds like i'm being horrible about poor michael i'm not i just find it really weird that he was more admired than queen victoria <laughs> it, it, it is a bit most most peculiar i i think it's like uh, we i think when we talked about the rolling stone top 500 albums mm. last week or two i think inevitably and uh, you mentioned princess diana being at number mm. three in that poll people tend to vote for whoever whoever is current rather than thinking uh it, it more deeply about it and looking back in history so i think if it you know it perhaps 10 years later it would have been um gary barlow or someone at number three you know thanks preserve us yeah anyway thanks so much for joining us this week it's lovely to have you along Yes, as always, I echo my learned colleagues' thanks. Thank you for uh, well for putting up with us every week this year. Frankly, I don't know how you've managed it, but or how we've managed it, but we're still here. Now, Julia, even if you're out buying new cardigans this week at the <laughs> Dior store in Indeed. Hastings, <laughs> yes, um, of which there's a huge one in Hastings. I imagine. I, I assume you'll have time for a for a radio show. I would definitely have time. Whether or not I have the technology is perhaps a more vexatious issue because we had some issues last week. But I'm hoping that with my team of boffins and with my rolled up shirt sleeves, I'll be able to fix it and we'll be back on Sunday evening from 7 to 9 for smooth sailing on my Mixer channel, um, which is uh, Yacht rock uh m-o-r a-o-r classic pop um easy listening all that sort of thing and that's my mixer channel if you go to mixlr.com uh slash juliet hyphen harris then that is my channel you can subscribe to it and uh, you can listen and chat along with people on sunday evening and that is hopefully when it works very relaxing no oh, it is excellent show now to play us out a song that was a 1970s shout out for empowerment of women Yes, indeed. And actually, this is an artist that I was regularly playing on my Smooth Sailing show. She seemed to fit the vibe. I was terribly sorry and sad this week to hear of the death of Helen Reddy, uh, the Australian singer-songwriter and uh, famous for perhaps Angie Baby, which was a huge hit in the 70s. Um, She had a a few tunes, but this, I think, really sort of hit a nerve at the time, I think. The thing that gives it its power as as, as an empowerment thing is that it's not it's a protest song that isn't a protest song because it's really positive and and i really like the fact that it kind of catches the excitement of a movement rather than being against something being for something i think that's a really nice thing and i'm really sorry that it's taken her death to kind of remind me of that if you see what i mean but I like in an increasingly negative and, and divided and fractious and violent world, I like the idea of, of, of seeing the joy in being for something. So this is Head and Ready and this is I Am Woman. I am woman, hear me roar In numbers too big to ignore And I know too much to go back and pretend Cause I've heard it all before And I've been down there on the floor 
been listening to a Parish Council production.